again everyone and welcome to my channel let's talk about us with Duce. please before we get started as usual if you're new to my podcast make sure to download subscribe share with your friends and family and if you're new to my youtube channel please make sure to download subscribe like comment and please hit that bell notification so that anytime i upload a video you'll be the very first to be notified so today i'm going to be talking about sex sexuality sexual orientation bisexuality um the kinsey scale and also i'm going to be talking about um sexual compatibility and to help me dissect this topic i'm going to be on a phone interview with one of my really good friends that lives in africa so please stay tuned hello everyone this is uche and i am here with uh, a really good friend of mine Mr. Ryan, I've known him a little bit over a year, and he is by far one of the smartest people I've ever met in life. And um, we talk all the time. He definitely has inspired me a lot. I like to think that the inspiration is a two-way street, but um, Ryan is here with me to talk about this particular subject that I've been meaning to talk for a while. So, Mr. Ryan, could you please give us a quick introduction of yourself? Hey, hey. well... Thanks for that introduction to yourself. Uh, yeah, my name is Ryan. Um, right now I work in educational nonprofit that works with essentially students in rural areas. Uh, born and raised in rural New Hampshire. <laughs> and yeah, I definitely uh, benefit a lot from my conversations with UJ. Uh I think we find a lot of common interest in discussing the human fallacies and the way that those like manifest themselves in the world. So yeah, I look forward to this. Well, thank you, Mr. Ryan. Thank you very much for jumping on the call with me tonight. <clears throat> I know it's uh, really late over in Africa right now. I think we're like seven or eight hours behind. So thank you very much for, mm. for sacrificing your evening. I know you usually relaxing and getting ready for the next day. So thank you. Um, so, Today, like I like I talked to you, like I, we we discussed earlier, we're going to be talking about sex and sexuality. Uh, I do want to talk about start with talking about sexuality in general. Um, the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because for something, me personally, I like to think that sex is something that is inherent. You know, it's it's a natural human thing. We are we're all sexual beings. You know, for the most part, I understand that some people are asexual, and on the spectrum of asexuality, I'm going to be talking about later on. But for the most part, we're sexual beings. You know, we get horny, you know, so to speak. We reproduce. We, we feel like want to, we want to have sex, not just for reproduction, but also for pleasure. But for something that is so natural, sex has become a thing of taboo, you know, and it's something that is quite like a global thing, you know, which is quite ironic considering the fact that the obvious fact that we're all sexual beings. So I want to talk about sex and talk about some of the things that a lot of people ignore a lot of people don't pay attention to or a lot of people are hush hush about because you know it's considered taboo me personally i think that sex is there's no there's no black or white when it comes to sex you know there's it's sexuality as a whole is a spectrum you know there's no one particular way of a person a person has to be you know sexual or not even sexual that's just the way i think of it you know different folks different things I like to think that the first thing of attraction is that you don't even know what it is about somebody else that you're attracted to. You don't know what it is about you that somebody else finds you attractive. You know, um, where we find different things attractive, we find different. We 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 are all inclined in different sexual um, sexual behavior, so to speak. So I want to talk about all of that. You know, the entirety of sexuality um and discuss with you because i feel like you're you're one of the best people to talk about this with you know the entirety of sexuality a lot of people are hush hush about yeah i look 
forward to this conversation. Obviously, like, uh, I lived a lot of my young adulthood in spaces that were much more, like, liberal and open about discussing these uh, topics and at least, like, being at least more open in your relationships and in mm-hmm. public about how people navigate these. Uh, and then I've spent the last couple of my years entering spaces where that has been, like, very much the opposite. Uh, so definitely have a lot of thoughts brewing. Okay. Yeah. It's also for me, you know, coming from Nigeria, coming from Africa, I was born and raised in a traditional conservative, super religious, you know, household. So there was definitely no sex talk, Mm. you know, sex is taboo. It was, it's one of those, um, don't bring girls home, don't bring boys home type of situation, you know, so it's sort of like one of those things, which Mm. I personally, I think is very dangerous. I think that sex education is very important um, for your children because again, we're sexual beings, we're sexual beings, you know, and and if you don't talk to them about it, eventually they'll figure it out. And that's even, that's the dangerous part because you don't know where they're getting the information from. You know, it could be from the wrong sources, um, people who are looking to take advantage of them and so on. So to begin with, I do want to start with the Kinsey Scale. I remember back in college, I learned about the Kinsey Scale. For anyone who is not familiar with the Kinsey Scale, it's basically a scale that goes from zero to six, um, talking about sexuality in in terms of heterosexuality, homosexuality. Um, Zero being 100% heterosexual and um, six being 100% homosexual. Kinsey did say that he claimed that most people lie between one and and five and very small minority of people lie between lie at exactly zero mm-hmm. and exactly six i genuinely believe that i do believe that most people lie between one and five and that is a spectrum of bisexuality i do believe that majority of people in the world if you take away bias if you take away religion if you take away conformity um societal influence um uh, culture and the, you know the, the list goes on i do believe that a lot of people most people on the planet lie between one and two a spectrum of of, of um, bisexuality to further elaborate that um on a scale from 10 percent it's well zero percent to 100 percent i believe that there are people who are let's say 10 percent gay and 90 percent straight or 90 gay and 10 percent straight and everybody else falls in between the line what do you think about that and feel free to disagree, by the uh, way. This, these are just my thoughts based on my research. No, I definitely, I have the same belief where uh, essentially if you use <clears throat> it as a spectrum, like the ends are the least populated. And you can almost, just like almost how everything falls in the natural world, it has a bell curve where most people are falling somewhere in the middle. And I think the issue with this is that that data is never really going to be able for us to currently get in the modern world uh, because of the way that people want to identify uh, publicly and privately. Um, there is a book written, I'm not going to do justice to the author, but I think it's called Everybody Lies. It's about big data and what mm. big data was able to tell us about the human world. And it told us that like, if you went into a population and you like went around and you asked people to privately put in their responses to like how they would identify sexually, um, the, the number of straight is obviously super, super high. Um, but then when you go and you do Google incognito search mm. histories of all the computers in that community, it does not match those numbers at all. Where clearly like, mm. the rates of like gay porn searches are like super, super high in these communities that are supposedly like 95, 96% straight. 
Uh, so I believe in the bell curve for this. I just don't really think it's verifiable at this point. Hmm. What, why do you think that is, though? Like, why a lot of people feel like when you ask a group of people, a, lo a large number of people of their sexuality, obviously a lot of them are going to identify as heterosexuality um, because that's the norm, you know, being in a heteronormative world, you know, that's, that's considered norm. But why is it that people go against their 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 nature to lie to hide something that is very natural for them and and i'm saying this because i've also witnessed this in some of the some very respectable people you know i've met some men even women but mostly men who are well educated well confident well spoken you know opinionated but when it comes to their sexuality these people are not i know them that they're not heterosexual at all maybe not even homosexual but a different type of sexuality but when it comes to their sexuality they fear of being reviewed as or viewed as gay or anything other than straight. What, what do you think that is? What, what do you think that's coming from that pressure? Uh, I feel like for me that comes in like two different buckets. I think the first one is just what happens when you deal with socially constructed definitions. Um, we have like such delineated like what it means to be gay and what it means to be straight as being something that you abide by like 100% as soon as it happens. So I have a feeling that I don't even think it's that necessarily people are lying. I think sometimes people don't even really know. And to be honest, I get brought back to <laughs> the documentary on the Tiger King where, uh, I can't even remember his name, but the Tiger King was essentially talking to this man that he was interested in who said he was straight. And the Tiger King was like, well, do you watch straight porn? You like when it's a big dick or a small dick. If you like a big dick, like you're also gay. And it's just, I don't know, I think we have all these walls put up about what it means to be gay and what it means to be straight. Mm. Um, and in reality, it's much more fluid than that. So I think that's one is just like, if we had looser definitions of what that meant, or if yeah. there definitions at all, like I think people would actually be willing to self-identify more. I like that. Not even honestly. I, I like yeah. that. I like I like that reference. And uh, sorry, sorry to cut you off. Going back to um, the LGBT as a large, one of the things I've always talked to people about is the problem with the LGBTQ is the LGBTQ. You know what I mean? I think that these people, like the L and the G and the B and the T and Q, are all grouped together unjustly. It shouldn't be. They shouldn't be one group. You know what I mean? So you have the heterosexual, the heterosexual community, and then you have the other. You know, so the heterosexuality is the norm, and then everybody else is the other, the anomaly, and you group them together because to to the mm -hmm. rest of the heteronormative society, uh, we don't know what to do with these people, so you group them together. But the problem with grouping these people together is because when you group LGBTQ together, the the general umbrella is gay. You know, apart from lesbian, you know, lesbians or lesbian cis women who are obviously women, you know, everybody else, there's this gay connotation and people don't like to be associated with that gay connotation because a lot of these people in the LGBTQ are actually not gay. For example, bisexuals, bisexuals are not gay. And I think it's quite disrespectful to call somebody who's bisexual gay, you know, because if you're saying that a person who is bisexual, a person who is honestly bisexual, by the way, because I know there's a lot of bullshitters out there, a person who is honestly bisexual, right? Um, if you say that they are gay, by the same logic, they are straight as well. But it's not true because a bisexual person goes both ways. Now, of course, depending on, on the, what spectrum of bisexuality that person lies on, you know, they're going to lead more to um, people of the opposite sex or 
over people of the same sex, you know, and vice versa. But I do think that's a problem. You know, a lot of people don't want to be associated. A lot of the members of the LGBTQ who are not gay are constantly being associated as being gay. And that messes with their, you know, their self-understanding, especially more so because there's not a lot of positive representation of the LGBTQ anywhere. Apart from maybe maybe recently, you know, in the media, but then even at that in media, I like I don't I like to think that entertainment or media is not the healthiest form of education for anything, you know, because they set unrealistic standards and you know their 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 views on everything is quite deceptive. It's more so entertainment and not reality. So because a lot of LGBTQ people, especially young people, including old people, we don't have um a lot of outlet. We don't have a lot of people talking about um lgbtq in a positive light you look at the media for answers and it's quite deceptive does that make sense mm. so so a person who is actually bisexual right a person who is actually bisexual but doesn't necessarily understand their bisexuality because that person is also let's say a bisexual man right he is also attracted to women. You know, he feels good with the woman. He's dated women. He gets, you know, he gets off with women, but then he also gets off with men. And then he looks at the image that is being portrayed by, let's say, Hollywood for gay men, you know, flamboyant, makeup, girly, you know, feminine and blah, blah, blah. And he doesn't identify with that. That messes with his sense of self, self-identity. You know what I mean? Um, because to him, that's not who he is. And I feel like this was also mentioned back in, uh, that documentary with Aaron Hernandez, when he was talking about how he couldn't, he couldn't accept that he's gay because his understanding of gay doesn't, he doesn't conform to that image of gayness, you know, being mm. flamboyant, being this, he's a tall, hunky man, plays football, you know, very masculine. And there's no way in hell he was going to identify as something that just does not conform to his self-identity. So I think that's a problem, you know, on its own. The whole LGBTQ being grouped together as gay, but gay people are just one, well, when I say gay, I'm talking about like, they say men um, who identify sexually with people, sleeping with men of, you know, cisgendered men for the most part, you know, that's what I mean by gay. So the LGBTQ, with the exception of lesbian women who are for the most part cisgendered women, right? Um, are grouped as gay. And I think that's a problem. What do you think about that? I think, I think my brain goes in two directions again. And the first being just like going back to the history of like when all those letters got pushed together, it was just like a very politicized move um, in which you had people who could look to each other and be like, maybe our causes will strengthen one another. But at the same time, we know that there are factions within that group that were more a part of that relationship, almost as like frenemies of like, you'll get me there for now, but I don't dig your politics. And I'm like out the second, like things are good for me. Where like there was more bonding on being uncomfortable and marginalized in spaces. And once that got better for some people, they were willing to like just uh, back out. So mm. I feel like that's like one thing of just like those, it's really like, what would have happened if that wasn't the move that needed to be made? Like, if all these different people who identify as queer in their own ways didn't feel the need to come together, mm-hmm. like, how would it actually look now? Mm. I think the second thing is also just, like, human nature of, especially in young adulthood, uh, late childhood, like, there's such a need to form to a community mm-hmm. uh, to people that you think you can identify with and be like. And I feel like that just makes it hard um, when there's the majority of people in the world that are straight and then 
the minorities of subcultures you find are so few. So when you can identify in yourself that you don't identify sexually as the people around you, and then you start looking at subcultures, and there just aren't that many, I think there is a push to conform to one that you feel like you can most fit into. And maybe that is where people like Aaron Hernandez fall in between, where they're like, I can't fit into either of these. And who who should say like what that does to the human psyche? But I also bet you there are a lot of people who act the way they do right now, not because that's naturally who they are, but that's because of culture and what they fell into. And I would say like that's something that I think about a lot of just like there's a especially when we think about bisexual people, there's a lot of lack of modeling in the world of what that looks like because there's such a push to pick a side. So when mm-hmm. bisexual people are trying to look out into the culture, the subcultures and figure out where they belong, I don't necessarily know if they find it. I don't think they find like people who are bisexual in nature and they understand how they fit there. I think they also get stuck in between. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. You identify as bisexual, correct? Yes. <laughs> on a scale from zero to six, you know, with the whole Kinsey scale thing, zero considering being 100% heterosexual and six being 100% homosexual, where would you say you lie? Hmm. I think it, also just being like a cultural being, I think it has fluctuated. I want to say now, and it's definitely contextualized by like the relationships in me now and like, all, all the things going on. I think about like a, a 4.7. 4. 4.7. Okay. Okay. Between two and four, it's pretty, still pretty um, average. It's still sort of like in the middle. Okay. So it's definitely fluctuated. What's the lowest that's fluctuated? And and what has and what has influenced this fluctuation? Hmm. Okay, I feel like there's a lot to unpack here. I would say, like, growing up, I never, probably until, like, high school, I never had doubts that I wasn't, or I think at that time, a zero. Like, I think that was just, like, what was kind of pushed onto you. I don't think there were many other options. Um, And then I think when I was in high school is when I started to kind of, like, pull back on some of the experiences I've had earlier in life and start to have the first creepings of doubts. And I feel like from there, it has moved further and further down the line. Mm-hmm. And I want to say probably at like peak, like my peak moment of feeling like I understood what I'm doing and I feel good about what I'm doing was when I lived in my last job uh, in East Africa. And I want to say that was probably at like a 3.75. And that's mm-hmm. when I felt like I was like, I know what I like and I don't feel hindered to not go after things I don't want to go after. Mm, um, okay. Yeah, but it's definitely contextualized by the relationships that you're in. Uh, kind of just like the recency effect of like the things that are most current to you kind of like stick out in your head a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. So would you say during those early years where you were a zero, would you say that you also had conscious urges to be with someone of the same gender were they there or sometime along the line something activated something in you 
So basically, basically a lot of people, the reason why I'm saying this is because a lot of people think um, homosexual behavior is something that is learned um, or influenced by people around mm. you or society or movies and stuff, things like that. Um, why some other people argue that it's something that you're born with or you can be born with, you know what I mean? It's, it's natural, like a natural urge, just like everything else. You know, people always ask, when did you find mm. that you were gay? You know, like, like, did you wake up one morning and realize, oh, I like men too, you know? And so I was like, yo, did you wake up one morning to realize, oh, I like women, you know? So that kind of that kind of situation, could you please explain, did you ever feel like, even when you consider yourself a zero, did you ever feel like perhaps there is some type of urge, even though you may not necessarily be able to compartmentalize that, that thought of liking somebody of the same sex at that time? Mm. Uh, okay, I feel like me and you have talked about in the past the importance of someone's like first sexual experience mm -hmm. uh, and how that can be I think this is where we disagree where I think we don't know if it's very absolute in its formative power of like how you go about the world sexually afterwards or if it's just forming a first notion and that notion could either be formative or deformative um, so for me, like my first sexual experience, unfortunately, was being sexually assaulted by another man um, when I was quite young. And I feel like that's what that and being in a more conservative culture growing up, I feel like that's what kept me at a zero for most of my childhood. I want to say up until like the eighth grade, maybe. Um, and I feel like I did have, I feel like I had two very big like pivot points that started to show me that doubts were there. Doubts that I just kept suppressed super low throughout the rest of my high school that just kept me at like a zero to a one until then. But I think the first pivot point was being in health class and being told uh, what sexual assault was and actually formally putting uh, ideas and knowledge to like what had happened to me. And, making more sense of those things for it was like the first like big pivot. I think the other pivot was at a sleepover that I had with a couple of other dudes. And I think that, yeah, those are the first couple of inklings of like blood rushing to my face and being like, whoa, there's like really weird feelings going on in my body and certain parts of my body because of this person I'm sitting next to. Um, yeah. And I feel like that was the first inclination of, I was like, wow, I cannot, control I cannot keep myself in check right now and I feel like that was like the second big pivot point that was really telling to me which doesn't mean I was not accepting but I think it just raised my doubt level up quite a bit mm -hmm. okay I'm really sorry to hear about the assault that you went through when you were a kid I really am sorry um and to anyone who's been through any type of abuse not just sexual um I hope you get help and I you too Ryan I hope you're getting help in you know, the, the healing that you deserve. But one thing I do want to say too is um, a lot of people claim that um, a lot of a lot of a lot of straight people or the world, let's say the world, claim that homosexuality is an effect of molestation. You know, like a lot of people who are gay have been molested or unhealthily exposed to sexual acts by the wrong people and that definitely uh, unlocks something in them would you say that that's the, the the thing with you the same case with you like perhaps the sexual assault that you went through when you were a kid um perhaps activated something inside of you and without that sexual assault that that experience you would probably still remain a zero would you say that mm. 
You know, I would really love to say no to that question, but unfortunately I do not have just the counterfactual that tells me if that what would have happened if it never was part of my experience. I think there are clues that tell me it's not uh, in terms of, in particular, like what this person looks like, the kind of people, the type of men that I am attracted to. Um, I think I'll, yeah, I want, I want to say I don't know because that's reality. I can tell Mm -hmm. you that my feeling is that I don't think it plays a very important part. Mm -hmm. Um, But that thing is definitely like, it is the foundation of my sexual experience. It's a super shitty foundation, very cracked and crumbling. Uh, But I don't think it stopped me from building quite an elaborate other realm of experiences on top of it. Okay, so you you identify as bisexual. You've always well, for the most part, um, you've identified as bisexual on some type of spectrum of bisexuality. Um, apart from your very early years, where you you identified as as zero, even though that was out of a suppression, right? Now you come from a very what's the word? Uh, you come from New England, right? Where there's not a. Mm. Tell me about your background. You know, like your family dynamic. What's what's is it? Are you? Do you come from a, a liberal? Do you come from a liberal background or conservative background? As 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 gay talked about. You know, LGBT. Is that a thing? Are people very educated, aware where you're coming from? Are they educated in, in these kind of things or not? And how did that? How did you manage to maneuver? and survive as a bisexual person, a member of the LGBTQ growing up where you're coming from? Yeah, okay. Uh, so to unpack that, uh, New Hampshire is an interesting state that uh, exists amongst all these other blue states that are very similar to it, like Vermont, Maine, Connecticut. They all tend to have like a pretty big like liberal but not well-off vibe. Um, New Hampshire is a little bit more interesting because it is a little bit harder to predict. So if you look back at it, uh, the way it votes in past primary elections, like it's almost always on the fringe and usually will go blue, but not always. Um, so that's just the context. I, there are places in New Hampshire that are better well off. They have, there are great private schools or great health institutions. Um, I'm not, fortunately I'm not from any of those areas. Um, so there's definitely a lot of rural pockets that exist in the Northeast that remain very close-minded because of the way that they're, the overall population of their state looks. Mm-hmm. Um, in my family growing up, which we were, we were very average in our context, um, I would say my parents, my mom used to talk to me about, no, neither of my parents talked to me about sex but my mom was smart enough to talk to me about like relationships and how to treat people in relationships and what you should be looking for. And I thought that was always important. And I think coming from a divorced home, that was important for her to talk about. Um, my family is uh, quite separated and divided now. And I would say the ones, the ones that stay with my mom in the house that I grew up in are a little bit more open, are now okay. And told me even before in different ways that they were okay with LGBTI matters being around their household. I don't think they necessarily understand it or want to understand it, but they're not against it. And I think other subsets of my family 
are not for that. Um, so again, like very typical of New Hampshire, <laughs> a similar thing going on in my family of it's hard to predict people tend to be on the line. Um, uh. I don't think you can go into New Hampshire and find anybody who could hold this type of conversation, though. I think that would be a lot more rare in areas that I come from. Okay. All right. I, I, I would I would like to also add, I think this is just my opinion. I think this is one of those, um, the evidence of the disparities between white people in America and people of color in America, because in, in within the black community, for example, there's a lot more disacceptance, if that's even a word, um, between the black, you know, like if you were to go to the black community, the black community is still very homophobic. There's not any type of people, black people don't want to associate themselves with the LGBTQ nets. I've seen a lot of young black people get kicked out of their homes when their parents um, notice that they're, they're gay. You know, there's a lot of struggle going on. There's a lot of prostitution, drugs, HIV, violence, the, just the list goes on. I feel mm. like even trans people of color, especially trans black people have it even way worse. So would you say that perhaps this is, um, a, a situation where you coming from a be coming from a white background definitely helped in that case, you know, because a lot of white people I would argue are way more liberal compared to people of color in this in this country. Yeah, this might be controversial to say, but I I do feel like the way wealth works in our country is there are ways I think like old wealth tends to be more conservative. And newer wealth tends to be more liberal and access to new, like newer wealth spaces and opportunities tend to expose you to more liberal ideas. So I would say like, yeah, I definitely think there's a facet of um, being white. My family, although not coming from much, definitely has more opportunities and access to things around them. And as they've navigated and grown, I'm sure have been exposed to a lot more liberal ideas that make it much, much, much more normal for them to mm-hmm. see LGBT matters in not, maybe not their everyday life, but at least more frequently than what conservative families might see. Um, so I definitely, I don't know if it's fair to link uh, acceptance mm-hmm. to access to opportunities but, and like social mobility, but I, that's kind of like where my brain goes in explaining that. And I definitely missed out the, the context of New Hampshire is super white. Like most, if you Wikipedia, any of the towns, it's going to be like 0.0 something percent of people who are not white. Okay. Okay. Thank you for clearing that. Um, I mean, I'm not, I've only been black, you know, I'm Nigerian and (laughs) I don't share the same background as you. So I'm only trying to ask out of curiosity, you know, um, you did mention Mm -hmm. that, correct me if I'm wrong. You did mention that, um, you, you said your mom talked to you about sex or talked to you about relationships? Which one? Or both? My mom ta- I want to say my mom talked to me about relationships. I am blanking on if we ever talked about sex, but we definitely talked about relationships. So you never we got to talk about the, very, the birds and the bees? No, you never got that? <laughs> not for my family, no. Unfortunately, not. Um, Would, I remember, again, like being raised in a very like split home. I remember when when he was very new into the house, one of my mom's boyfriends trying to find out if I had a wet team or not. And he tried to explain it without using 
any words of it, no. And I just remember being really confused. I'm like, what? What happened? In my what? And then, no. <laughs> and then I feel like after that, no one really tried for a while to hit God and feel that But I definitely remember, I feel like I did, I definitely asked a few questions in passing. I think I told you a very iconic joke that I had with my father um, where he was trying to talk to me about condoms and I made a joke about anal and he got really upset about that. So mm. I feel like it was never a very educational moment. It was, it was always like bits and pieces. Would you say that you would have appreciated your parents talking to you about these things? Because me, I think these things are extremely important. I, w I know for sure, going back to, to my family, um, I would have appreciated my mom, my dad, to sit down and actually talk to me and my sisters about these kind of things because it's it's inevitable. You know, sexuality is just something that you're going to bump into it eventually. And I feel like not preparing your kids, especially considering the fact that we have so much negative outlets out there, because you don't know who's influencing your kid. You know, I feel like that should be enough incentive for you to actually arm your kids. You know, let them know, like, this is a no, this is a yes, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, to equip them. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be boring to them, of course. But I feel like eventually, as an adult, the kid will look back and appreciate it. Looking back into my life, even though I know I don't have the best relationship with my family, uh, with my parents, I feel like this is one of the things that I would have definitely appreciated. It would have reinforced some type of relationship, some type of bond with my parents, and also would have prepared me for adult life. Because I feel like when it came to sexuality, I was doing a lot of trying to error at a younger age, um, doing things I shouldn't have been doing with people I shouldn't have been doing them with. There was a lot of trying to error. It was quite embarrassing. But I feel like that could have been easily prevented if, I had somebody, a strong mind behind me who was experienced, direct, honest, and talked sense into me. Would you say that you would have appreciated your parents looking back into your life right now, sitting you down and talking to you about, you know, the birds and the bees or sex or whatnot? Doesn't matter in what context, you know, gay or straight or bisexual, just sex in general, the basics. Would you say you would appreciate it? And would you advocate for that, you know, sex education starting from the mother and the father or whoever is, you know, raising the kid? Um, I don't think, okay, a few things there. Yeah, a big advocate of sex education starting young. Um, I, I think it needs to start at childhood. I don't, I don't think it necessarily needs to come from the parents. Um, I think, although you said that, I think at the end of the day, not to cut you off, I would I would argue that it comes with the parents because I feel like the parents will be the safest for the most part. Um, to tell, share with your kids that kind of information. Because a stranger, you know, sorry to mention what happened to you, but a lot of times strangers have used that opportunity to abuse a child, a naive, ignorant kid, you know, um, take advantage of them, you know, through the, you know, quote unquote, sexual education and whatnot. But you're actually exploiting a kid that doesn't know any better. But a parent, I'm not saying that parents don't mm -hmm. abuse the kids sexually either. I'm not saying that. Unfortunately, it does happen, but I feel like the chances are significantly lower if it's coming from a caring mother and father. So that's what I would say, that coming from, uh, it's, I think it's important at a really young age that it comes from the mother, the father, the caretaker, whoever is the primary caretaker of that kid. That's what I'm saying. And not to cut you off, mm, I just wanted to okay. say that before, you know, so I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I feel, yeah. Well, I'm just saying, if we're speaking in the form of ideals, I think... I think moving away from the parent model is also just helping us move away from 
the signals that sex mm-hmm. has. If it's always treated as this like delicate, delicate flower that only your sweet, loving parents could first introduce to you, I think we're still missing the point of sex shouldn't be treated as something so secretive and and uh, delicate and fragile that it can only be handled by certain people. Obviously, I hear your concern about strangers coming into the mix, but if we lived in an ideal world where that wasn't the case, I don't think it necessarily always has to come from the parents either. I think it should probably be coming from all sides, just like all forms of education should be. Of course. Um, yeah, but I feel like by making it something that can only be discussed within the house, it, it just goes back to another form of like sheltering it up from the outside world, which I think brings us into some of these bad habits that we see. Um, yeah. The other thing I was going to say is like, I think my parents did, I think my mom talking to me about relationships was really helpful. I think that has taught me a lot more. Um, I think I learned a lot in my own ways. <laughs> uh, things that again, like definitely get you into like sticky situations at time. Um, and definitely could have been better if I had, more of that education front up. I think the one issue is like the thing my parents couldn't have taught me about unless something changes in the way they're educated is the way that I would go about having not straight sex. And that's okay. something that finding out when I'm like a young adult, things that I just had no idea even existed and all this shit, I was like, I have, what? Like, those are the moments where I was like, that's the kind of education that I think people are missing out on is uh, education, how to, how to even have, but also how to have safe and like protective sex with people who are not uh-huh. that gender with you. Uh-huh. Um, and that's why I think like LGBTI media can also be just really, really helpful in putting out more of that knowledge. And even today as like a 25 year old, I still turn to LGBTI media and, and look at that and go like, whoa, all these things I still don't know. And it's just because uh, I went so many years not ever seeing that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the one caveat there is um, heterosexual parents, once they're educated community, share mm-hmm. with you the knowledge of so much. <laughs> I would say, going back to what I was saying earlier, of course, I think that sex education relationship talk should, should come from different varieties, you know, because your parents only know so much, they're, they're humans as well. And of course, if you have heterosexual parents from conservative households, of course, their message is going to be more um, hetero, heteroconformist, you know. I understand that, but I would say, I would still stand by, I think your parents should be the primary givers of that kind of knowledge, that first exposure. You know, of course, when you graduate from there to, you know, let's say elementary school, um, high school, and all that should be incorporated into the curriculum one way or the other as you get older. But I feel like you should have that basic, that baseline from your parents, you know, explain to you in a language that you can understand. And then so that when when you get out there, when you go out there, it's not like, whoa, what is this? What is that? Because I feel like that's where a lot of people get lost. A lot of people make a lot of mistakes. Um, unfortunately, a lot of these mistakes are permanent. And um, even though your parents didn't talk about talk, talk to you about sex, I still do commend that the fact that they your mom talked to you about relationship because that's something that even some people don't even get, especially people of color, you know, especially people from Africa. I didn't even get that talk at all from my mom, from my dad. We didn't talk about relationships whatsoever. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a matter of are you dating somebody, are you doing this, are you being safe, are you who is this, who is that? You know, that kind of question. It was never there. It was just hush hush. And I think that's extremely dangerous because as an adult right now, I'm kind of maneuvering through relationships and it's sort of like 
you know, even though I think I'm doing fairly, I feel like I would have been better prepared if my parents had did the preliminary work talking to me about how these things, you know, work in adult life. Even though my parents, they, you know, at the end of the day, they're humans, they're flawed, they have their own issues, but just having that exposure, that firsthand exposure as a kid would have definitely, I feel like would have given me some type of advantage as an adult, as opposed to me figuring things out through trial and error. That, that's just what I'll add to that. Hello again, everyone. This is the end of part one. If you're enjoying this interview so far, please go ahead and head over to part two of this interview to listen to the rest of it. If you're also enjoying my podcast so far, please make sure to subscribe, download, share with your friends and family. If you're new to my YouTube channel, please make sure to subscribe, like, comment, and please hit that bell notification so that anytime I upload a video, you'll be the very first to be notified. See you in part two. Thank you.